is a second loneliness, you could call it that way. And maybe it is precisely the fact that you have found a home and feel deeply loved. There is still a hole when you have found a home. Pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together. We have to understand that we're not each other's enemy. We have to say, let's move forward. It can feel daunting to not be perfect when you've got all these like perfect people. People aren't perfect, no one's perfect. Well, good morning again. Welcome if you're a visitor. Just before I uh, get into our significant series, I just want to thank our servicemen for coming along this morning. Just give them a hand and uh, appreciate that. Just want to uh, mention uh, the gentleman on the end of the Navy uniform, uh, Lieutenant David Lewis. He's the commanding officer of HMNZS Harwera, which is birthed over at the Mount at the moment. So uh, thanks for coming in, and David, and, and uh, making the day special for us, and everyone else as well, and Justin, our, our policeman there as well. Thanks very much. So we're looking at a new series today called Significant. So over the next couple of months, various speakers are going to talk about significant people in their lives, in their Christian walk, and, and what's kind of impacted them. Uh, now, they may be Bible characters. They may be people who are alive today. They may be people who died a couple of centuries ago. But um, each individual speaker is going to bring the person that they feel has really uh, spoken to them through their Christian witness and... Uh, and impacted them really. And uh, you may not know the uh, particular person, so you'll get to know someone else. Uh, the person I meant is the significant person. Uh, they're not perfect, so we're not going to show you a whole lot of just perfect people. Some of the people we talk about, um, you know, may not have sort of reached the heights that you expected, but they've been significant in their Christian witness to the persons uh, speaking. Maybe musicians, maybe artists. But uh, come along, it'll be refreshing over the next couple of months. And, you know, significant, it, 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 the word will be significant to you as well. So what you hear, there will be a significant challenge. There'll be a significant excitement that, that these people have lived uh, such a Christian life, such a biblically-based biblically life that's impacted our, our society, our world in, in many different ways. So today, I'm going to have a look at um, Dr. Martin Luther King, his desire to bring light into the darkness with regard to racial tension in, the Mer in America in the 60s, and well-renowned for his march on Washington in 1963 for jobs and for freedom, and his incredible I Have a Dream speech. And this man stood for, uh, for what was right. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was jailed many times, but he kept moving forward. He saw the darkness, and he brought the light of faith, the light of Christ, into that darkness, determined never to give up, determined to keep moving ahead with what he believed in, grounded in the Christian faith the whole time. So this morning I want to read from John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to be a witness of the light that all through him might be believed. He was not that light, but was sent to be a witness of that light. That was the true light, 
which gives light to every man coming into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the light that we have, that we find in Jesus. Father, that darkness cannot live when the light is there. So, Father, we pray today that the light of Christ, the light of your presence, the light of your Holy Spirit will impact us. Father, you know our deepest hurts and desires. Father God, I pray this morning the light of Christ will shine into every one of us, Lord. Father, that we would realize again the absolute love and joy and peace that is found in the presence of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Martin Luther King, the civil rights activist in the 60s, he saw the darkness that the black people lived under, black African people, in the form of racial hatred and discrimination, and he set out to do something about it. And this preacher from Atlanta, he began to speak, and and this resulted in this gathering of 250,000 people in Washington there to support the cause. You know, the Bible says that we cannot have fellowship with God and walk in darkness or allow darkness to grow or pervade, pervade in our society. You know, darkness presses us. It presses in from every side, but it doesn't crush us. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Darkness is all around us in the world we live in. In Corinthians, it said, Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are not in despair because we have the answer to the darkness in the world today. Darkness is the the absence of evil. Sorry. Darkness is the absence of light, the absence of of good around about us. It is the engagement of evil. And what caused Martin Luther King to stand up for that real righteousness? He said, this is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Quite simply, evil resonates. Evil resonates where light does not penetrate. You know, darkness, darkness. We live in darkness when we don't know Jesus Christ, when we don't have any hope, when we don't have anything to look forward to. But, you know, we can know Jesus and still live in darkness. We can hold on to Jesus but still live in such a way that our our life does not reflect the light of Christ. And that's so important. You know, um, there are two types of darkness. There's the environmental darkness. There's the cultural darkness, the darkness that we walk into in the world around about us, the darkness that does not reflect the Christian worldview, the darkness that says in this world today there's no hope, there's no future. And so many young people are, are, are fed this lie that there's no hope. There's no future. That's that environmental and cultural darkness. And the other is our own personal darkness. That at times, even as Christians, as believers, you know, we we can hit the wall. We can hit this darkness where where God doesn't seem to be answering us or healing us. And and so often it's unexpected and it can just pop up and and just kind of hit us. And Martin Luther King, he suffered from depression most of his life. Very, Very severe bouts of depression. He had suicidal thoughts most often, but he knew the light, that little spot of light. You know, but the uh, Karangahaki Gorge, um, you know, between Waihi and Pyro, there's that tunnel you walk through. You know, that big, long tunnel. 
And I remember the first time we walked through that with our kids. You get to the beginning of that tunnel, and mate, it's really scary. And there's a little dot of light way down the other end. You imagine if there was a corner there, and you couldn't see that light. Would you still go into that tunnel? It's scary. First time, you get halfway in the tunnel, and you think, mate, I hope this thing doesn't cave in. But you keep going, because that dot of light gets larger and larger. It's the light of Christ in our lives. And sometimes that light is only a pinpoint. I remember I was passing in a church, and I hit a wall, and I was getting pretty down, and I went and saw my spiritual director at the time was a Catholic priest, and I, I said to him, I told him my story, and he said, mate, he said, that's a dark night of the soul. He said, uh, St. Teresa of Avila in the 16th century spoke about it. And he said, guess what? It gets worse. See, thanks, bro. You know? But, you know, we need that little touch of light. And that doesn't mean as Christians we live in this great euphoria of light all the time. But there is always that fine pinpoint of light that we can find Christ in, when the darkness, when the problems, when the hassles comes. Martin Luther said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only hate can do that. And he was living in this world of hate. What? Only light can do that. The light is Christ, the light is about people. You know, the light is about people and so often, I think in our world today, we've made everything about objects and things, and getting things, and leisure and pleasure, which is all good stuff. But how much of our day, how much of our world, how much of our life is thinking about faith in Jesus Christ, the light of the world? How much of our Christian walk is, is expo exposing the darkness in the world that we live in today? Living in darkness is living in a state of mind that says it is finished. And you know, Jesus on the cross at Easter time, he, made, he said those famous words, it is finished. And from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Just imagine that for a moment. The darkness over all the land. It is finished. Where's the hope in that? And you know, without Jesus, darkness dwells across our lives. Darkness says there's no future hope. This world is all there is. Darkness traps us into thinking that life is hopeless. Darkness traps us into thinking that I cannot get out of my situation. Darkness says you'll never achieve. You'll always be a loser. Darkness says you have no future. You have no hope. But the light of Christ says there is hope. The light of Christ says God knew you. God formed you in the womb. The light of Christ says he has a plan for your future. Light says Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. The light says that you will never be alone. Light says call on me and I will answer you. Light says there is a future and there is a hope. There is a future and there is a hope. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about this morning. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. There is a pinpoint of light, the light of Christ that wants to be in your life and to encourage you and to say there is a future. And you know, the world today, we live in a world of darkness, and we are drawn to the darkness because the darkness is attractive. The darkness is so attractive to us all, and we see it around the world today that we're drawn to darkness. 
because the world's ways are more attractive to the light and darkness is subtle. Darkness is counterfeit. Darkness is a lie of the devil. So when you look at Dr. Martin Luther King, what caused someone like that to risk his life so often, to keep going so often, to make such an impassioned plea, to stand up for what was right, knowing that it wouldn't be accepted, that most Americans wouldn't accept what he was saying. He was wading into the center of darkness. He was confronting darkness and saying, this has to stop. He could only speak like this because he knew the light of Christ. His foundation was in the light of who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the hope of the world. You know, in his famous last speech, his last speech before he died, he said, I went up to the mountain. I looked over and I've seen the promised land. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You know, that's exciting. Have your eyes seen the glory of the coming of the Lord? Well, two people have. Oh, Warren has. Yeah, but you know, that's the point, isn't it? That's the point of Christianity. That's the point of the light of Christ, that we can stand up and say, yes, I have seen the glory of the Lord. I have seen, I have received, I understand. I own the promised land. I have seen the glory. That's the excitement. Frida is so excited. Go, Frida. She's the most excited person here this morning. She's seen the glory of the Lord. Because he knew what was right and wrong. Today we live in this grey area. Everything is blurred. The lines between the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of, of the gospel and, and Jesus are now blurred. They're grey and they're mostly non-existent. Nobody wants to know. But when you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You understand the light and the light of Christ comes into your life. Your life changes. You walk into the center of Christianity and you grab hold of it with both hands. You grab hold of faith, of the Christian life with both hands. And you grab it and you hold on to it, the light of Christ. The light of Christ, the answer to the world. The darkness goes. And I'm going to keep saying it. Even if it's a pinpoint of light, it's the light of Christ, which will eventually dispel the awful, and I wanted to say crappy, but I won't, darkness <laughs> that you're in. It's the light of Christ. You know, when you come into faith, the identity, your identity changes. You accept Jesus. It's about leaving behind. It's about changing it's about the light coming into your life and experiencing the love and the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit. And Martin Luther said, my call to, to the ministry was not a miraculous or supernatural something. He said, on the contrary, it was an inner urge calling me to serve, calling me to serve humanity. Christ has called us to serve, to go and to serve. And then once you become a Christian, your faith takes on a practical aspect. You do something with your faith. You change. Things move in your life. Something different happens. You say, I'm a Christian. Where you work, where you school, the, the business, the, the, what you do, what you say. You practically get out there and you live the Christian faith. You know, John Ortberg, he's a pastor and he's an author from North America. And he makes the statement. He says, the minimum entry requirements to get into heaven when you die. 
Some people live in this perpetual state of the minimal entry requirements to get into heaven when I die. Pretty sad statement, isn't it? I'll become a Christian and I'll do that. I'll live in this place of the minimal entry requirements to get into heaven when I die. And they hover. Their Christianity hovers year after year, month after month. We just hover with our Christianity. But practically, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to know the glory of the Lord and to see the promised land? What has God called you to do? What has God called you to practically do with your faith? How does it work out in a practical sense? Martin Luther King King said, keep moving with the faith that what we are doing is right and with the even greater faith that God is with us in the struggle. God is with us in the struggle. You can't be a half Christian sitting on the fence. The light of Christ, God is with us in the struggle. We identify with Christ. There's a practical aspect. God has called us to go, to be, to say, to do, whatever, just to be available. And then thirdly, as you, as you dig uh, uh, Greek big foundational roots of faith through your practical work, your commitment grows and your commitment grows and it gets stronger. And before you realize it, your faith commitment, commitment is growing and you have solid roots and you're sharing more and you're, you're giving out more and you're, you're praying and believing. As you, as you do practical stuff, your, your roots go deeper. In 1959, King moved to Atlanta to become co-pastor with his father at Ebenezer Baptist Church. The next years saw him organizing peaceful demonstrations in Atlanta, Albania, Georgia, Birmingham, St. Augustine. So that's 1960, 61, 63, 64, and Selma. And all of this time, he kept moving forward, the practical aspects. But the thing is, too, throughout all this time, he was beaten, he was thrown in prison, he was arrested, he was stoned, he was in solitary confinement, and at a book signing, he was even stabbed. Did he stop? Did King stop? Did he say it's too hard? Did he say, what are the minimum requirements for me to get into heaven when I die? I have done that. This is too hard. I'm going to stop. He didn't. He kept moving forward. That is the excitement of the gospel message. God can get hold of you and you can get hold of God and grab it with both hands and keep moving forward. He kept moving forward. The more practical our faith becomes, the deeper, the deeper our commitment becomes. Our commitment grows. It grows when we're challenged, when it's hard work, when we're stretched. And it is hard at times. It's not of the world. The world is more attractive. It's more attractive to be doing all that other stuff out there. Faith is about identity. Who am I as a Christian? Faith is about practical work. Faith is about commitment, doing deep, deep things. And finally, you have identity, you have practical, you have commitment. And then finally, there's another word that we have. Finally, the word sacrifice, sacrifice appears in my Christian walk. In spring of 1968, King was in Memphis to help with a sanitation strike, strike, and on April 3rd, he told his audience, I just want to do God's will. 
He's allowed me to go up the mountain. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I'm not fearing any man. I've seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And if you know King, those were his last words. And he was assassinated the following day. Isn't that incredible? I'm not fearing any man. I have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I've been to the promised land. I've looked over the mountain. Isn't it exciting? Isn't church exciting? Isn't it, isn't it your Christian witness exciting that it's between you and God? You know, it doesn't matter what I say today. No one actually really cares. Everyone's going to go home and have lunch. And then we're going to turn up next week and listen to someone else. But it's, but it's a heart. It's the light of Christ in your life. And no one judges. No one um, is condemning people or putting guilt on people. It's between you and faith. It's between you and God. And, you know, at some point in our Christian life, this word sacrifice, this word sacrifice has to appear. It's there to move us, to tell us, to go, to give up to move my way of thinking from this little world that I live in, to sacrifice, to give up something, to moving towards Jesus and the kingdom, his kingdom and his people. You know, sacrifice is such an Old Testament word, isn't it? But it sounds, sounds true. Sacrifice, it sounds like pain. It actually sounds like hard work. It sounds like having to give up something or having to give something away, perhaps even change direction. Perhaps it means I have to put everything on the line. And sometimes with our faith, it is like that. Paul in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is what Dr. Martin Luther King did and believed. Your bodies offered to God in an act of worship, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We ask, what is worship? What is church? What is it? Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. And as someone said about that, when you talk like this, they say the problem with a living sacrifice, when you put it on the altar, it crawls off. It doesn't stay there. So if sacrifice is too hard for you, don't live in a perpetual state of the minimum requirements to get into heaven when I die. It's a kind of a sadly funny saying, isn't it? It's kind of a sad saying. The challenge is, do I live in that state of the minimum requirements to get into heaven when I die. If you don't like sacrifice, how about we call it surrender? Surrender, is that better? Garth Murray, who's speaking at our men's seminar, he spoke last year, and part one, I, I kind of understand it as part one, and he's going to come back in part two. And if, you, if the men who were there recall what he said, he said that when he, he surrendered, 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 he got on his knees and he basically, just in an act of worship to God, he surrendered everything to God. This is not a very good illustration. He surrendered everything to God and everything turned real bad. <laughs> and 
He went, him and his wife and family went through really, really rough times. But you see, the point is, when you go through the really, really rough times and there's a pinpoint of light, you get closer and closer to God. And he's got an incredible testimony of going through those times and, and what came out of it and what God has done in his life. And it, because he surrendered, he just did. Now, not everyone's going to have to go through that, but he got to this place of surrender, surrender to God. Not a foot in both camps, not the minimal uh, requirements to get into heaven when I die, but I'm yours, Lord. I surrender. I surrender. Every, uh, every year, I tend to have a drink of water. I go down to uh, the Southern Star uh, Monastery, Abbey, I think it's called, down the Hawke's Bay, for three days. I mentioned it before. It's a little retreat I go on. It's a Benedictine uh, monastery, and there, there's monks there. And um, they're really, anyone can go, any, any person, people can go there, it's free, they look after you really well, they feed you, they don't expect you to do anything, and you can pick or choose if you want to get involved in their routine of prayer or whatever. And this time I went, I was the only one in the building, and um, you know, I was really sport, and they, and they look after you so well. And, and you can speak to one of the monks if you want to. And just please hear me, I'm not pushing the Catholic world um, I don't necessarily agree with everything they do, but for me, it's, uh, I can pick and choose what I want to do, and I enjoy going there. I sat down with Brother Nico. Brother Nico is Dutch. He's been there for 50 years. He's in his 70s. And I had this incredible theological question to ask him, and I spent time formulating my incredible theological question. But this man is so holy. He's been there for 50 years he prays seven times a day. In the community, they get up at 4 a.m. and start praying, and they spread their day seven times a day, uh, seven days a week. And he's been doing this for 50 years. So surely you're going to ask your hard theological question to a person like this. So I sat down with Brother Nico. I asked him my question, and he smiles. They all smile, these guys. They're really nice guys. And he leaned forward with me. He said, four words. Four words. My deep theological question, and the best he can come up with is four words. I know I'm not the, the sharpest slice in the loaf, but I can cope with more than four words. And my question was about the spirit and the soul. And it was a really good question. And it was deep. Well, deep for me. <laughs> and he looked at me and he smiled and he leaned over and he said, I really love Jesus. I said, mate, is that it? <laughs> it was about the spirit and the soul, I'll tell you later. It's a deep, it's a deep question, bro. Deep, deep, deep. <laughs> he said, I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. And he said, you know, living in a community like this is really hard. And God is teaching me stuff. And I'm like, you're 70, mate, you've been here for 50 years and God is still teaching you something? And he said, it's hard. I've got a lot to learn to live in this community. I really love Jesus. And you know, my brain clicked on. That's the answer, isn't it? It is so simple. I really love Jesus. That's it. The light comes on. I really love Jesus. And then the second bit he said about living in community and God is still 
teaching him something. And I thought, mate, we will always have something more to learn. God wants to keep using us. God wants to keep teaching us. Don't shut off our minds. Don't live in a place of the minimum requirement to get into, into heaven. God is teaching. God is preparing us. And all we have to do is start. I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. And when you really love Jesus, all else pales into insignificance. Pretty good, eh? Insignificant? <laughs> you really love Jesus. The doubts disappear. The discouraged are encouraged. The sorrowful are comforted. The hate turns to love. The grief turns to joy. The weak become strong. The poor becomes rich. The dark turns to light. When we look at someone and smile and say, I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. And I realize then how simple, how simple faith really is. So identity, who am I as a Christian? How, old, how do I practically live my Christian life? What is my commitment? It's between me and God. What is my commitment as a Christian? Am I living with the minimum requirement to get into heaven? What am I prepared to sacrifice? What am I prepared to surrender this day? This verse, when I was reading it, my wife said, Sue said to me that... Um, in the 1970s, she was a young teenager and um, a Christian living in Auckland. And she went to Valley Road Baptist Church and Dave Jacobson was the pastor. And she said he got hold of this verse and he divided it up and he spent six or seven weeks preaching that verse. Just taking the words. The first one is therefore. And he said when you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to work out why the therefore is therefore. And he went back through Romans. And then he, he talked about, I urge, how does it go here? Yeah, the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is it to be holy and acceptable to God? What is your reasonable service? And he spent six weeks just preaching through that. Martin Luther King had a dream that all people would live in the light and grab hold of that light and live their Christian message. For King, it was about humanity, all of humanity, all the people. And above everything else, he showed that evil couldn't be given an opportunity. The only community that can deal with evil is the Christian community. And John, it says, The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You know, as in the tunnel in the Karangahaki Gorge, all you need is a pinpoint of light to find Christ and walk towards the light. Walk towards the light. just want to finish this morning by reading the last paragraph of King's speech the day before he was shot. He says, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will 
and he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And he said, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I've been to the mountaintop. There are difficult days ahead. I've seen the promised land. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory, the glory of the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Christianity is about identity. Christianity is about being practical, practicing practical Christianity. It is about commitment, deep roots of commitment. It is about surrender. It's about sacrifice. It is about what does it mean to, to love my Lord what does it mean to really love Jesus? Every theological question you want to ask can be answered with, I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's finish with that promise this morning. We live in the light. Let's walk to the light. We have a um, wonderful team of young musicians here. Yeah, thanks guys. Oh, we can clap. But we also have a wonderful team of uh, prayer people. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you'd like to know more, come up to the front as we sing these songs and um, someone will pray for you. A wonderful team of people who will pray if, if God is talking to you this morning, if you want prayer, if you want direction, if there's, there's something. Remember what I said, it's about between you and God. It's an opportunity to talk to God. And our prayer people are, are gifted with the ministry of prayer and, 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 and words and, and really um, praying for people specifically. So if you'd like prayer, if God's challenging you this morning, just come forward. We're going to finish with a couple of songs. <laughs>